to This Grit and Grace Life, a podcast for strong women and those who want to be. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, real talk for women embracing this grit and grace life. Let's get into it. Hey, friends, and welcome to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life podcast. I'm your co-host, Julie Graham. And I'm Darlene Brock, the other co-host. I'm kind of excited about this particular podcast, Julie. It does feel a little bit weird for you to say you're excited to talk about something that honestly is hard to talk about, but I'll let you be excited. (laughs) I guess that is a little bit of an oxymoron, but I think there are some subjects that are really important to unpack, and this is one of them. This is actually something that we've been talking about praying about, thinking about, you know what? Actually, we even tried it once. We tried to record an episode on this topic and we were like, yeah, that didn't, that no, didn't work. Bombed, not we, good. we were not good at it. So mm-hmm. um, we decided that we wanted to discuss um, the phenomenon of depression. The fact that there are many, in fact, statistics say that probably 15% of the adult population will experience depression at some point in their lives. And, and you and I have actually talked about the fact that that's not something that we have struggled with. And yet we have loved people who have battled depression. And, um, we wanted to discuss this topic because we know that it's affecting our audience. It's affecting our friends and our family members, but we didn't feel equipped to really do it justice. And so today by the, um, suggestion of our dear friend, Dr. Zoe Shaw, good suggestion on her part. Love it. Whatever she says, we're like, sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. We're in. So Zoe introduced us to our friend, Melissa, that you will meet today. And she's the author of an incredibly smart and relatable and even funny book called The Radiant Midnight, Depression, Grace, and the Gifts of a Dark Place. So um, we know that you're going to enjoy hearing from Melissa because she brings her real life experience of depression, but there's also with it an unrelenting hope. So we're really excited this week to have our special guest, Melissa Mamoni. Melissa, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for letting me be here today. I'm, I'm excited about our conversation. Well, you know, I actually purchased and downloaded your book about a week ago. And yeah, you didn't send me a free copy, but I had <laughs> She's <purchased>. not better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am so happy I did, though, because within seven pages into it, I'm like, I love this woman. In her book, The Radiant Midnight, she shares a lot of her own experience and her heart and, you know, the, the journey she's walked through. So... Melissa, will you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, well, basically, I mean, I, I grew up in a very, um, you know, intact household, very normal middle class. And um, I always believed in God. Uh, but what I believed about him was um, really, uh, I think, mis, uh, misinformed, um, but it, it informed the way I lived my life. Um, I think I felt like God was sort of this gigantic disappointed dad in the sky, you know, that was, you know, kind of just watching with, uh, contempt at my life and and how I led it. And, um, it, you know, when you, when you sort of have that general feeling about God, like you don't want to hang out with a God that's mad at you all the time, you know? And so I didn't, I knew he was there, but I didn't really, uh, enter into any sort of relationship with him. And, um, meanwhile, I was, uh, really starting to struggle uh, in my high school years with, what I now know as depression. I didn't know that that's what it was called then. I just knew I felt really sad a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, 
it took me on a journey really into dark places. And um, by the time I was a senior in high school, I was hospitalized in a psychiatric unit um, because I was a danger to myself. And, um, you know, I don't know if you've never, ever noticed this, but um, I find that like some of the hardest times in our lives and the darkest times in our lives are also some of the most significant times Mm -hmm. in our lives. And I do believe that that was, um, although it was one of the hardest times in my life, it was also one of the most significant. And it started to give me words to the way that I was um, feeling inside. And, you know, my life kind of progressed from there and things like that. And then when I was in my mid twenties, um, a friend of mine invited me to a Bible study, which I was super not into going to. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I, 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 the only like, you know, church people that I had met were super weird. And so I didn't, I was can super be really weird. Very, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> no, people, we can, we can be weird. So, um, but I, I, I ended up um, through a series of events um, attending this Bible study and I was blown away by what scripture had to say and by who Jesus was. And so um, I didn't, I just didn't think that he was so compassionate. And then I mm-hmm. read scripture and I was like, oh my gosh, like, he's amazing and he's so kind and tender toward people who were complete train wrecks. And because I felt like a complete train wreck, then, then that it really resonated with me and it changed my life. Um, so I, you know, I, I, when I started following Jesus, like things really got clear and were great for a while. And then, and then hmm. the darkness returned and, um, I was devastated because I thought that I was fixed Yeah. And, then I wasn't. Um, and so it started bringing me on this journey of exploration of why God allows the things that he allows in our life. And what, what do we do with that? You know, how do we, how do we approach the most difficult aspects of our own lives? And, you know, I have wished for a long time that I would not struggle with anxiety and depression and yet I do. And so, um, the radiant midnight is, is a reflection, um, of, kind of what I've learned in the dark places. And it's an invitation to those who are in dark places to slow down enough to let your eyes adjust to the dark a little bit, because I do believe that there's really important things to be learned there, but I think, I think it's hard. So I hopefully am inviting people onto a journey that is both hard and really good. I love in the description of your book and where you talk about, you know, where the concept of midnight comes from, and you even just touched on it, that there is there is good that comes from the dark. And I think that we've almost believed the opposite of that. The dark always equals bad. So can you unpack that a little bit of, you know, what are the, what's the value of the dark and the quiet and the silent places? Well, I think, um, you know, I I think whether or not you're, uh, you know, a a Christian or not, I, I think we live in a world that sort of invites us to live from victory to victory. And that the um, the pattern of our lives is one that will be positive, except for these little blips on the radar. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, uh, the the course of our day, like the nature itself, does not reflect that. We have four seasons. We have you know a season of spring and growth, and we have a season of winter and and really deadness. And we have a day that has both um, in a twenty four hour period of time light and dark. And if those things are in nature, if those things are all around us, then why wouldn't it be part of our lives? Mm-hmm. And um, midnight is different than daylight. 
you know, daylight is when we have our energy. Daylight is when we see one another and have friends and when we're doing all the things that we're called to do with our life. But midnight is really a time to slow down. And it's a time where we maybe feel tired. And um, it's a time of, of vulnerability a lot of times. And so I think as much as that's the truth about, you know, the sun and the weather pattern and the daylight pattern of the planets and how the sun and, you know, the stars rotate, I think it's true for our lives as well. And so that's, that's why I, I want, I wanted, I want to invite people to kind of see darkness as a midnight, as a, as an ordained regular part of life that is not to be feared, but it's also not to be dismissed. I think what you just said there is really interesting, Melissa, is I think as a tendency, we fear those moments. We are scared to walk in them. I mean, who wants to wake up even during the night at 2 a.m. with their mind rolling? And it seems like at that hour, you're thinking about all the things you don't really want to think about or deal with or recognize. And so you don't want to go there and you don't want to stay there by any means. How do you deal with that? Well, that's, I completely agree. Like, and I don't want to either, <laughs> you know, it's not like I'm like, yeah, you know, midnight has arrived. I'm not a downer person. I'm not a bummer of a person. You know, I, I, I enjoy daylight. I enjoy good things, but I just, um, I just think that if we convince ourselves that the main purpose of difficult times and darkness is to get out of it, then I think we miss what's in it. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of energy toward getting out of hard places. Like here's a verse and here's a, you know, here's something you can do and here's some breathing exercises and here's who you talk to and here's what you write and here's what you do. And I think those things are really good because I, I do think there's a time for action and a time to, to say, I, you know, I'm going to do, be proactive in my life. But I also think there's a time to just stay still a little bit. And that's, and, and I don't think there's as many resources for that. Um, and yet I think we all, we all have that time in our lives where, um, we're too tired to do anything, but just sort of stay still. And so when we stay still, like there's something to do in that as well. There's something intentional about the way we stay in those places as well as the times where we're trying to get out of them. I think I want to just kind of take a little caveat here and say to the listeners out there who struggle with this and go through the de- times of depression, don't escape it. Don't just run from it. You know, and we want to encourage you. It's okay. It's okay to rest in it. It's okay to learn from it. It's okay to absorb the things in your life that you need to at that moment. And I think for all of us, some of us, Julie and I don't struggle with depression. We've talked about that a lot. And we we have friends who do. But for people like us, you know, I think we need to be able to say it's okay. And Melissa, how do we do that better? I'm I'm curious how I can be a better friend to someone who's struggling with it. I think the thing that w- people who struggle with depression, like myself, um, struggle with is is shame, um, because uh, oftentimes when you're struggling with depression, it's not necessarily because of your circumstances. And so, a lot of times, what people are compelled to want to say is, but your life is so good, but, Mm -hmm. but you're, but like, you're amazing and we love you. And like the person standing on the edge of, of watching their friend, you know, disappear into this hard place is like, no, wait, come back, you know, and you're, it's all good. Like you're good. And I think inadvertently, certainly not out of wanting to do it on purpose, but inadvertently, you can sometimes make the person feel worse because you're, the person's like, I know, like, I know I, I should be happier. Should and, be I'm good, yeah. 
And I think we're invited as friends of people who go into hard places. And this is the same if you have a friend who's grieving, if you have a friend who is struggling in divorce or a friend who, you know, whatever, whatever is happening to them, if there, if there's infertility, whatever it is, our ability to enter into the dark place with someone can be a profound reflection upon the God who is present with them as well. And sometimes I need actual physical presence of a person and a friend to just say, it's okay. And I love you. And you don't need to be anybody else than you are right now. And uh, I, there's tremendous power in that. You don't need to have a lot of words and you don't need to fix it. And I know it's tempting to want to, but, um, but to just stay present with a person, I think is incredibly powerful. I, I, one of the things that I was thinking about as we were preparing for this conversation is that idea of being someone in the church and who has walked with the Lord for a long time. I know that I've said to people, because I don't personally struggle with depression, that, well, it's okay, you have God, and you want to almost like put like a Jesus Band-Aid on it, and it doesn't fix it. Um, have you struggled with, you know, the church kind of not understanding the depression, and what are some things that, you know, especially in the family of God that we could be, that, that we need to know in order to be more um, aware of how to walk with somebody who's going through this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think... I think in general, um, we are, we want a quick sort of, uh, arc of pain. Like we, we want to hear the stories of victory. Um, and so in churches, a lot of times, which I think have their place because they can be incredibly inspiring and hopeful. Um, but I think we have to make suffering part of the regular language of the church. Um, not in a way to be, you know, sort of scary or anything, but, I'd be willing to bet about 50 to 60% of the people who walk through the doors of church on a Sunday are struggling with something big. And if from our pulpits, we don't talk about that very much, then we, we make pain and suffering something that is in the background. And, you know, Jesus was super upfront about talking about suffering. Like he talked about it and he said, you know, we're, we're going to, it's going to be hard. And um, I think we probably need to be told that regularly from the pulpit um, and that, and also that there's tremendous hope in that. But I think in general, I think we need to walk with people in the long term and not sort of hope that from week to week, they're starting to feel better and to be able to just say, Hey, I was thinking about you this week, or, Hey, I was praying for you. Like, to, to stay present in the idea that, that people are on a journey that will take longer than perhaps they or we are comfortable with. But like people who go through divorce, you know, sometimes um, they both leave the church and they both spouses end up somewhere at different churches who nobody knows their history. And sometimes that's a relief. But other times I'm like, no, I think we need to know each other's history. And I think being present with someone in suffering. And I think the church can do this much better than it's doing it now. Um, we're starting to talk about depression a lot more, which I'm super happy about. But I think a lot of times too, it gets discussed in the realm of mental illness. And um, I don't think mental illness and having a time of depression is necessarily the same thing. And I think if you relegate it just to mental illness, I think there's a lot of people who will go through a spot of depression in their life and they don't really want to talk about it because they're afraid that they're going to end up in the, in the, you know, category of being mentally ill. Um, and I, I even think that that is a little bit of scary terminology. So if somebody's struggling, like just, if we can leave the idea of mental illness sort of 
on the wayside and just say, what are you struggling with? Um, I think you bring in a lot more people um, to that conversation. You know, Melissa, my you don't know this about me, but my father took his life uh, when I was in my early 20s. Oh, I'm and so yeah, he was struggling with depression. And he was one of those guys that you never would have thought. He yes. went to church. He was a deacon. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just loved in his community. In mm-hmm. fact, his funeral, the, the church was spilling over with people I didn't even know that he had touched their lives. Mm-hmm. And the sermon that, or the what the pastor said that day was, don't mistake the man for the moment. And That's I right. think we tend to do that as Christians, especially, we interpret our views as God's views. We think that if we think it should be fixed, God thinks it should be fixed. Or if yeah. we think that that person is acting in a way they shouldn't, that God automatically thinks that. And I don't believe that's true. I think that us imposing our opinion superseding God's is belies his grace and his understanding of our humanity. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. A thousand times. Yes. And, um, and I also think it takes away from his mystery. Um, and you know, the fact is, is that that experience for you, um, it, it's never going to be okay. Like it's not okay. It's not. And I think to try and like wrap it up somehow or to decide like what lessons have been learned from that and things like that, I just, I think it diminishes the power and the agony of what happened. Um, and, and I, I think, uh, I, you know, I, because I struggled so deeply with feeling suicidal at times, um, not so much anymore, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but part of that, I think is that I, I, the darkness that, that comes sometimes, like it has more of a a welcome place in my life now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think it's, it's like, if you put your hand on a really hot, hot stove, the only thing you know is that you need your hand off the stove. And I think that's what people in deep pain are doing is they're doing anything they can to get their hand off the hot stove because they just want relief. And I think we will offer relief more if we have a safe place for people to go. And if we become safe places for people to speak about the sadness and about the things in their life that they can't quite seem to get a handle on. Um, and, and I believe that shame, I believe that shame offers nothing but loneliness and isolation. And that isolation is never the plan of God. Never, never. I think there's times of silence. I think there's times of solitude, but that's not the same as isolation. I love that in the description of your book, you talk about the idea that the night is just as ordained as the day and that they both have a place and a value. And I think that that's what you're describing here and this kind of perspective shift of, you know, we've been taught to, to, to believe that when I go through something hard, I'm supposed to learn from it. And your idea of we, we want to move from victory to victory. I, I see that in my own life. Okay. Well, I had this hard thing and I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to move on. And I really appreciate you kind of um, encouraging us to think through that, no, we're, it's okay to stay in the dark place and not be ashamed of it um, and allow it to bring whatever it's going to bring for however long it's going to bring um, and not try to rush through it. Because we feel bad, I think we think we are bad. Like mm-hmm. that God is somehow not as pleased with us when we're feeling really bad. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I just think we're going to miss out on the whole reason of grace is because we need it to fill in all of our missing pieces and all of our blank spots and all of the parts of us that are broken. And it's like, I think we kind of need, we kind of want grace, but 
it, we want it in a very contained kind of controllable, dignified way. And um, that's not what grace, that's not what grace, I don't think you don't get the full measure of grace unless you're completely like a wreck, snotty tissues, like puffy eyes, you know, bottom of the barrel, like I am crawling on my hands and knees. Not that I invite that and not that I like it, but in those moments, if I can start to believe that God is just as pleased with me flat on my back with, you know, tears streaming down my face as he is when I am at my best doing what it is that he's called me to do with my life. If I can believe his pleasure is just as present in both those places, I believe I can start to live a more integrated life. Mm-hmm. And and it's true. He, he does love us the same in both those places. I just think it's harder to grasp when we're in a hard place because we don't feel lovable. And, and like you said, we stick words in the, in the mouth of God in, in those times. Melissa, from a practical standpoint, uh, how do you, when you're struggling with depression, how do you not get overwhelmed? Are there tools that you can have? Because, you know, you may be struggling with it, but you have real life you still have to deal with. Are there things that you can do that help? Yeah, um, I have found first and foremost to be able to narrate to myself what's going on. And, um, you know, confession is really important. Confession also just states where your circumstances are. So to confess and to say to God or to someone else, I'm struggling today. I can feel it coming on today. I don't feel like doing things today. To just speak that I think is important. Um, I do think there's times to uh, cross things off your calendar and to say, today is, I'm not going to be doing that. Um, And then to look at your day and to say, what are the things I have to do? Like in spite of myself, what do I have to do? And you know, bosses are funny. They kind of like us to show up for work. (laughs) You know, like kids don't care whether or not, you know, you're having a hard day. They still want to be fed, you know? Um, And so I do think there's a a tremendous blessing in those things, even if it feels like crawling through broken glass to do that stuff. Um, Routine reminds you that your life will not fold in on itself because you're having a hard day. And so, uh, you know, I think there's a welcome place for, um, for routine. And then there's also a time to say, I need to um, cancel that lunch date today because I need to stay in my pajamas for a while. And that's going to be good. It'll be good enough. And, um, and it is, it's good enough, you know, cause you will have a day where you're at full power again. You will, you will. And, um, and then the kids can have that fantastic new recipe you've been reading about, you know, or whatever. <laughs> My kid never gets the fantastic new recipe and I <laughs> don't struggle with depression. So somebody needs to hear that as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's totally just an example, but I'm a terrible, sure. I, I don't like cooking and my children are well aware of it because I've declared many a time while I'm fixing dinner, how much I hate cooking. Um, so. <laughs> Something that we say at the Grit and Grace Project a lot really actually comes from Darlene is that we're not just trying to get around life challenges. We have to be willing to walk through them. And I think that that really pairs well with your concept of um, the midnight and knowing that there's good that can come from it. But here's a question that I want to pose. Is there a fix to struggling with prolonged depression? I mean, is it something that can be fixed or is there no hope in that? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I think there's, there's hope, uh, whether or not it ever, it ever resolves. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for some people it does. And Mm -hmm. I think you can ask God to take it away. And I don't think there's any shame in that. I think there's a lot of power in confessing it and to asking him to do that. And sometimes he does. Um, and I hope that if you're one of those people that you can now show compassion toward those who are struggling in a particular way. Um, and I also think that there are times where he says no, 
Um, but I believe because I'm, I'm a living example of it. I think you can live a life of joy and of wholeness and of, um, of grace and excitement toward life and still struggle. And I think a lot of it has to do with whether or not you come to trust the God who has allowed it to stay. And if God has allowed it to stay, and if he's comfortable with it, then I do believe that there are ways for us to become comfortable with it too. And a lot of that has to do with just understanding who our God is and understanding that he doesn't see things the way we do. Like, you know, it, it says in scripture that he wants the wheat and the tares to remain like, cause he's like, wait, 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 don't, don't become your own gardener. I, I will do that. And so I think the more comfortable we become with like the worst of us or the worst of our own selves and the worst of what we don't like in our own stories, I think the more free we become. Trust me, I never wanted to be like the different <laughs> girl. Like I was horrified that mm-hmm. I, I kept feeling the Lord asking me to do this. And I was like, uh, but I just, I just started talking about it a little bit at my church and I was shocked at the response of women who were like, me too, me too. And I struggle with that. And that's really what you guys are talking about. Like the grace and the grit. Like if we talk about both those things, they actually live in the same space and it makes the grit all the more amazing. And it makes the grace all the more real when both those things are in the same place in our lives. Love that. I do think that sometimes as women who hold their faith dearly, we tend to look at our circumstances of today. And if we could just shift to that of the eternal Mm -hmm. and realize that whatever we're dealing with, whether it is the entirety of our lifetime or whether it's a year, six months, 10 years, everything we experience really is temporary. It may be all of this life on this earth, but it is temporary, and we have a God who will walk beside us, with us, around us, hold us. I've said that God will let us pound on His chest in anger as He holds us in His arms because He loves us that much. And so I think being honest, being honest that this is where we are, but knowing that whatever it is, it's only for this life. That's right. And I think sometimes we think of hope as always for the future. Like we hope in heaven and things, uh, you know, and things like that. And, and it's true. We, we have that hope that we can hang on to. But the fact is, is hope is here now. It's not just for the next lifetime because we have the presence of God with us now, not just around us, but inside of us. And if God has said, I'm not content to just leave you with the Holy Spirit that is around you, I I want to be inside of you. That means you always have hope because there is always grace available to you. There is always forgiveness. There is always comfort. It is right now. Hope is for today. It's not just for like when I get over something, it's for when I'm in it. And, and I, I just think, oh my gosh, if we can start to live in the hope that we've been given for right now, heaven doesn't seem so far away because I'm sorry, like if I'm really hurting and someone's like, yeah, but you know, you're going to go to heaven someday. It's like, well, that lot of good that helps, you know, for this moment. It doesn't, it doesn't. And I just, but I, I think, you know, we can hope in heaven, but we can hope for right now and today too, because God is here now in us, in us and in our circumstances. And so I think there's tremendous, tremendous hope in that. Oh, if you only saw Julie and I right now, we're like, (laughs) nod, 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 nod. Yes, 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 yes. We're right there with you. Well, and I hope that as our friends are listening, whether they're in the daylight or they're in the darkness of midnight, that they can, even if it's a slow nod, that they can nod along too um, yeah. and hear our hearts that, 
you know, we see you, we feel you, we know that it might be difficult today, but one step at a time, one small, um, one small nod, one whispered prayer, um, you know, God, I see you and I know you see me can be the difference between um, a lack of hope and um, holding on to hope. You mentioned one thing about being in midnight, uh, and that is gaining treasures. You know, what are the treasures? What What is it that you found that our priceless gifts have been given to you at that time? Well, a lot of the gifts of dark places don't f- seem like gifts when they're given. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would say silence is probably one of the biggest gifts I've been given. But God doesn't, he's never silent at us. Um, he's never silent at us. He can be silent with us though. And um, I had my own experience of my my brother-in-law committing suicide. And um, I was the, I was the person he called when he was in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I tried everything oh, to, awesome. I tried to find the words and, um, I remember, you know, how you like, you can be talking and praying at the same time. And I was praying to God, God, give me the words, give me the words, give me the words. And I, I just felt like he was silent and it, um, you know, and my brother ultimate, my brother-in-law ultimately ended up taking his own life. And it was, I literally spent about eight years, not speak, not talking about it. And I was confounded by why God was so silent, um, but it's been a journey in learning about the silence of God. And to, I no longer believe that God is silent in terms of being withholding. He never, never is. He never withholds himself from us. He has given abundantly all of himself. We have every blessing under heaven. There are times when a Bible verse isn't helpful. Mm-hmm. We, just need a, we just need God. And, um, and I, I believe that's true in our relationship with him. And if we can invite his silence in as mysterious as it is, as uncomfortable as it can be sometimes, I believe you will understand God and his grace in a whole new way when you start to learn the gift of staying silent and of understanding and welcoming his silence. But his silence does not mean his absence. And I believe silence is a way to understand God's presence in a whole new, different way. So that's been one of the things that has sort of played out in my own life. I mean, I'm awkward with silence. And so I'll just admit that our audience knows that. Um, but I first just want to um, just say I'm sorry to hear that about your brother-in-law. And I oh, just you. thinking and listening and, you know, even just being challenged to stay silent because I can't fix that. I can't. I can't say anything that's going to make that better. And so even just trying to practice what we've talked about today, as I hear you share about um, that painful experience that you had. And I think that that's what we want to do with conversations like this. We want to be able to walk away, um, not needing to fix something, but having a greater understanding. And so we want to just thank you for your vulnerability to come and share with us about the midnight, the dark places that you have experienced and, um, may experience again. And so we just want to thank you for, um, writing the radiant midnight. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, can you tell us how our friends can follow along with your journey and maybe learn more about you so that they can, um, get your book and hear more from you? My website is, is melissamimoni.com. Um, but Mamoni is difficult. So if you, if you Google the radiant midnight or the radiant midnight.com, you will, um, land on my website as well. Um, so I would invite people to come along and, and, you know, pick up the book and come find me on online. And, you know, obviously you can follow me on social media and yada, yada. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, 
come, let's come hang out and let's talk about some of these things in, in the best, most positive, positive way. And that, which is exactly what you, you both are doing. Well, and for me, Melissa, because I did go through this with my father and lost him to depression and then suicide, you know, I am really thankful for this book of yours. I think it is a precious work because it is, it is an honest work. It is one that tells the reality of someone in a situation that we may not understand and offers the compassion and indeed the grace that God offers in these scenarios. So thank you. And, I, you know, I don't endorse much. This one I would endorse. <laughs> I absolutely would. I think you did a brilliant job. Thank you very, very much. I really appreciate it. And hopefully it's kind of funny too. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, hopefully it's funny. Cause I, I think that we have to have a lot of humor in our life. It we is, don't have to laugh or cry. Right? Yeah, it is. Okay. It is everybody. It's not just a big depressive book. It's a very encouraging <laughs> and it is humorous too. So yes, it is Thank that. You. Well, if you know Dar, you know, she wouldn't be able to hang with it if there wasn't a lightheartedness to it. That's at one least, of her life at values. At least every few pages, I got to have a laugh. <laughs> good, good. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both so very much. What an honor to have this conversation with you today. It's It's been a delight, truly. We're so glad you joined us and I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. So thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. All right, friends. It's interesting how God works because we have this conversation with Melissa and you're going to really want to follow up next week because next week we're talking even more about specific hard things that you may walk through or a friend might walk through and how you can be a grace-filled friend in those circumstances too. So be sure to come back next week, but we want to wrap this one up with a quote from Melissa herself. She said, an authentic life can be messy and magnificent at the same time. That, to me, sounds like a life of grit and grace. Thanks for listening to another episode of this Grit and Grace Life podcast brought to you by the Grit and Grace Project online magazine. Whether you're listening in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or streaming the show, be sure to take a couple moments to subscribe, rate, and review so you never miss the next episode. You can also share the show with a friend you think might enjoy living a Grit and Grace life with us. Every week we share all the details on everything we discuss in the episode at thegritandgraceproject.org. We'll catch you on the next one.